today. A shock win for a far-right outsider in Argentina's primary vote. Relatives hang on to tales of survival in Maui, the death toll making it the worst wildfire in the US since 1918. Ukraine calls for international action after Russia fires warning shots in the Black Sea. And the road to Pakistan's elections gets complicated. It's Monday, August 14th. This is Reuters World News, with everything you need to know from the front lines in 10 minutes, every weekday. I'm Kim Vanell in London. We begin in Argentina, where the far-right challenger, Javier Millet, has sprung a major surprise by winning the primary election. In a huge shakeup in the race to October's presidential elections, he polled just over 30%, with almost all the votes counted. Millet celebrated with supporters in the street as his victory sets up a three-way battle for the election. He told supporters they are the true opposition and a different Argentina is impossible with the same old people. The same old people, he says, who've been failing for 100 years. It's a stinging rebuke to the mainstream parties at a time when inflation has risen to 116% and a cost-of-living crisis has left four in ten people in poverty. In Maui, stories of death and survival are still being revealed. Communications in the historic resort town of Lahaina have finally been restored as the death toll rose past 93, the worst toll from a wildfire in the US since 1918. Aksani Va, her husband and three children, had to flee when the flames got close to their home. Everything's coming so quick, we could feel the heat, it's sitting in our car. And out of nowhere, all, out of nowhere, I just hear banging on this window. And everything's dark, so I look to my left and I'm literally right next to this car where this grandmother is yelling for help. And she's just telling me, please help me, I have a baby. And I just... You know, at that time, I'm like, what do I do? So, of course, I jump out. I tell my husband, you tend to the grandma. I'm grabbing the baby. I grabbed her. She had. She was sitting on a blanket. I wrapped her with the blanket, and I told my kids, you guys run. Don't turn around and look for me. And my nine-year-old couldn't. She just kept telling me, Mom, I can't. Please, Mom. The family managed to escape by jumping over a fence, taking the grandmother and child with them. Va told us that all the devastation, all the ashes, are going to turn into beauty and believes Lahaina will come back ten times stronger. Now a quick look at the headlines making news around the world. The Russian ruble has slumped to a near 17-month low. Vladimir Putin's economic advisor blamed the drop on loose monetary policy and a rebuke to the central bank. The ruble's lost a quarter of its value against the dollar since the invasion of Ukraine. North Korea's Kim Jong-un has called for an increase in missile production to help secure what he called overwhelming military power. He says they need to be ready for war as the United States and South Korea begin their annual military drills in the region. 
The junta that have seized power in Niger say the ousted president could be prosecuted for high treason. Mohamed Bazoum has been in prison since the coup in late July. China's property troubles are taking a toll on Asian markets. Property giant Country Garden saw its debt problems deepen after its onshore bonds were suspended. That's a fresh blow to policymakers trying to shore up confidence in China's stuttering economy and has amplified the case for serious stimulus from the Beijing government. This week, analysts will be watching for retail sales and industrial output numbers due out of China on Tuesday. U.S. retail sales are also due this week, and so are Fed minutes. Investors will be poring over both of those for any hints on rates. Ukraine has called for the international community to take action against Russia after it fired warning shots at a cargo vessel in the Black Sea. Moscow said it happened after the ship's captain failed to respond to an inspection request. Kiev said it was a gross violation of international law. Jonathan Saul in London covers international shipping and commodities. Jonathan, first off, where did this occur? The vessel was travelling in the Black Sea area, what appeared to be in international waters, close to the Bulgarian coast on its way towards critical gateways in the Danube, most likely to be Ismail port, which are under Ukrainian control. It appears that the vessel itself was in international waters. So that gives a bigger indication of what's actually happening. It's not within Ukrainian territorial waters, which is a bigger concern. Is this the first time Russia has fired on a ship like this? This appears to be the first incident involving a merchant vessel that was fired upon since Russia exited the Grain Corridor deal. Previously, when this whole conflict kicked off after February 2022, there were a number of incidents involving ships being targeted one way or the other with either missiles or some kind of munitions. But this appears very much to be the first time since Russia's exit from the grain deal. How important is this shipping route? This shipping route has become increasingly vital, not just for Ukraine, but other countries as well, including Romania. It's a very narrow corridor within the Black Sea area that a number of countries use to export their grains and other vital commodities. It's almost like a sort of gateway, a small sort of channel, which then leads into a a bigger pool of water. So it is very critical. And what's happened in previous weeks is that we've seen multiple ships being backed up as a consequence of Russian drone strikes on Danube ports, including Ismail and Rennie. So there are already problems in this area. And this should send very worrying signals, not just to Ukraine and Romania, but international shipping and insurance as well. Pakistan's prime minister has handed leadership to a caretaker prime minister who is meant to oversee an election by the end of the year. But the arrest of former President Imran Khan has thrown a major wrench in the works. Pakistan and Afghanistan bureau chief Gibran Peshimam is in Islamabad. Gibran, what happens with the elections now? Well, we'll be lucky if we get elections anytime before the next six months, because right now Pakistan is in the middle of a constitutional crisis with a new census that has increased the country's population significantly, all the way up to 240 million people. 
So there's a new electoral exercise that has to be undertaken by the Election Commission, and it's all up in the air right now. So we're looking at elections maybe going as far as mid of 2024, but certainly the November deadline is under increasing pressure, under increasing uncertainty, and we'll be lucky to see elections in the next six months. How does Imran Khan's arrest change things? Won't people protest? Aren't they angry? The last time Imran Khan was arrested back in May, there were unprecedented protests in Pakistan. Military installations were attacked, government installations were attacked, and there were days where public gatherings in many major cities of the country were not allowed. But this time, there has been a marked difference. Not many people have come onto the streets. When people have come onto the streets, they've been met with a huge presence of security forces, which has caused them to retreat. The reason behind this is that Imran Khan's major party leadership is, has either left his party due to pressure from different quarters, including the military, that's what Khan says, or many of them are in jail. Who are the other candidates? Well, the front runner right now is the outgoing Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif. He is the front runner because he heads a coalition of nine parties that are against Khan and are likely to contest together to make sure that Khan, even in jail, his party does not get any sort of leverage in parliament to push for his return. The other candidate, a bit of a dark horse, is Bilawal Bhutto Zardari, who is the son of former Pakistani Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto, who is Pakistan's first and only female prime minister. He's a dark horse because of his age, but he's turned a lot of heads not only in Pakistan, but in capitals abroad, as he was foreign minister for the last 16 months. He made many high-profile visits to Washington, was in other Western capitals, held a lot of important meetings with China. The capitals know him, the Pakistanis know him, so he's a bit of a dark horse. That's it for today's episode of Reuters World News. We'll be back with our daily headline show tomorrow. To make sure you know what's going on in the world, listen in for 10 minutes every weekday. And don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast player or download the Reuters app.